Welcome. You are about to take a journey to a place of the divine love within with Deborah Buffet on the Love by Intuition show. For the next hour, allow her to prepare you in becoming a magnet for a profound love-infused relationship by identifying and focusing on solutions through love. Awaken the light within and let your essence shine. And now, here's Deborah Buffet on Love by Intuition, all part of the Dream Vision 7 radio network. Welcome, everyone. Bonjour, mes amis. And yes, here I am, Deborah Beauvais, founder and owner of the Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. And if you're tuning in for the first time, we are a Boston-based, fully operating, producing internet radio station with all the bells and whistles. You can listen to us anywhere in the world. You can ask Alexa to play Dream Vision 7 Radio. You can listen in the cars, get our app. You can do all kinds of things, and we are actually, all the shows are on 55 to 60 different podcast directories in addition to our own streaming. And um, so here we are. I'm excited over my guest. Um, She is Joan uh, Ranquette, and she is an accomplished animal communicator for over 30 years. Many of you may be familiar with her. Um, She is an author a TEDx speaker, educator, and animal guardian. And Joan has hands-on animal communication and energy healing processes, (laughs) troubleshooting behavior and medical issues, stimulating healing in conjunction with conventional medicine or treatment, and deepening her clients' abilities to care for and understand their animals. Uh, We are going to be talking about EFT, Emotional Freedom Techniques for Animals. This is her new book, her latest one, uh, and I will repeat that, Emotional Freedom Technique for Animals and Their Humans, Creating a Harmonious Relationship Through Tapping. So without further ado, welcome Joan to the Love by Intuition Show. Yeah, you're welcome. And I have to mention, um, I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but Linda Tucker uh, did some shows with us back in uh, 2017 to 19, and you were on one of her shows, uh, and it was during the development made in South African Parliament uh, back in 2019, and you also served on the Global White Lion Protection Trust. Now, are you still on the advisory board? Yeah, it's the uh, we're the Star Lionesses, and I'm not on every meeting, but um, I I read all the notes and put my input. But yes, I definitely am a big white lion. Yes, ah, lover, advocate. Um, yeah. Yes. Yes, I love Linda. Um, I look forward to doing some more things with her in the hopefully near future. But let's get into, you know, we have the book, but I'd like to get into, if you may share a little bit about your journey and when you realized that it was a spiritual journey that you were on. Well, I, you know, it's funny because as much as my life has been about animals in many ways, um, I mean, I always have the animal version of what got me to animal communication 
and I grew up with animals. I had horses growing up. I had dogs and cats. I was a big, you know, animal lover, obviously, and um, did, you know, I showed horses. I did, uh, you know, pony club. I was always on a horse. Um, but uh, my, I think in many ways the real spiritual aspect of this began with um, the death of my sister in 1986. She had a, a brain tumor, and actually the anniversary of that is coming up, and so it's been many, many years. Mm-hmm. But um, it, that really shook me up. I had a, a degree in theater. I'd studied at Circle in the Square and, and did a Shakespeare program in Oxford and lived in New York City, and all of a sudden there I was, bedside with my sister dying. I mean, we had a little bit of time, but it was, we had six months, but it was very, um, you know, you really kind of move into what is purpose when you're watching your little sister die. Um, Mm -hmm. And so in a lot of ways, that's what started my kind of looking beyond uh, Western medicine, looking beyond what the answers were that were kind of handed to us in this, in a more superficial world and looking for the deeper meaning of everything. And I was in the Hollywood business, if you will. After I left New York because my sister was sick, and instead of going back to New York, I came to Hollywood. And, um, and you know, I, I can always find the depth and the richness in anything, but it, you know, it was, it, there were also very many shallow things about Hollywood. And so I was still always looking for the, the deeper meaning of things. And one of the things that I found to be the deeper meaning was... Um, a horse that I had gotten, and her name was Pet One. And that horse really, she really showed me how much, um, you know, I was uh, probably two years, three years into my grief at that point, going through grief counseling, taking energy classes, studying animal communication, all of that. But that's really in 1988 where the, this whole thing started. And it was because of a horse that I always say was my, kind of spiritual mentor. I was studying mm-hmm. mindfulness at the time, and if I took my mind off of her or what we were doing, um, she let me know by being naughty. So I, <laughs> I learned very quickly um, um, just how that became the rich depth I was looking for in, in life, and then that became my life's work. I mean, it first animal communication and energy healing was just a hobby, but it it certainly took over. Right. And what attracted you to EFT? Because there's so many modalities out there, especially now versus, say, 20 years ago. But um, what drew you to EFT? Well, I was I do another technique called um, scalar wave, and that's it's very yeah. great. Oh, theater is wonderful. Yeah. So it's great for relaxation and, and healing, but I wanted something that could kind of help behavior. And this mm-hmm. wasn't, I, I wasn't looking for something. And, but once I found this, I realized this was, I wasn't looking for it, but here it was. Um, the, what happened was I had been the victim of a crime and I had trouble sleeping. And I had heard about this new technique called EFT. It was in 2001. And 
EFT was um, just kind of getting getting some legs, you know. People were starting to use it and talk about it. And so I took, um, I took a, well, first I went to a practitioner and in one session I was able to sleep and I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was, that seemed impossible. And then after that, the same practitioner, um, I lived in Denver at the time and uh, he, he was offering classes and then he was offering certification. And so I took it and I thought, you know, at that point I'd been doing animal communication for many, many years. And I had a lot of clients who were um, either terrified of getting back on their horse or were scared to go back to the dog park because their dog had been attacked or even more complex was that their dog had attacked someone else. So I wanted mm-hmm. to help the people end of the horse accident or the dog uh, reactivity because they knew that in either case, you know, a person holding the lead line of a horse or a dog or a leash or the person in the saddle, once they get nervous, their nervous system, like, you know, amps up. And that's just going to make the animal more reactive to whatever it is. So any if the dog is at a five of reactivity, the person's um, nervous system could put it at a 10 and boom, there, you know, the horse is bucking or the dog is biting. So I wanted that thing that would bring the nervous system down and help help both the animal and the person. So it started out wanting to help the people, and then it was in uh, 2004 that I tried it on a horse, on Shakespeare. And I think you started to mention that when I was finally yes. coming back on. Well- Yes, the horse is my favorite animal, so I'm picking up on Shakespeare right away and the issue with ponies. So um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that's a, a great story. So I had um, I had a client who was a horse trainer, and he had a client who I had talked to that woman's horse. So his client, Karen, was our mutual client, if you will. So Karen had a horse named Shakespeare. And Chris, the horse trainer, called, um, called me one day from a horse show and said, I, um, Shakespeare is attacking ponies in the warm-up arena of this horse show, and he's terrifying people on their ponies, and we can't stop him. And I thought to myself, Chris is the most accomplished rider I've ever known. If he is scared, there's something going on. And I said, well, I can help you from the phone. I can do animal communication on the phone. And he's like, no, you really need to get out here. So I, uh, I didn't necessarily think I needed to get out there. I thought I could have done it on the phone, and now <laughs> I'm eternally grateful that I saw what I saw and that we did what we did. Because Shakespeare was literally like... If you've ever seen a horse go after something, it looks like a dinosaur, the way that their jaw opens up, and it's terrifying. And so I came out, and I witnessed from my own eyes what Shakespeare was doing to little ponies, and girls were screaming, and it was it was awful. And so we took him away from that area, and... Uh, 
I found an empty barn aisle on the showgrounds, and um, we led him down there. And at first, I, w- I was going to do a, just a communication. I mean, I had no intention of doing EFT, but um, I communicated with him and found out what was going on. And he had said that, you know, when he was young, that he had been um, the that when he was weaned and he felt he was weaned too young and I'm sure everybody does so I don't know whether that was true or not but that's how he felt he Mm -hmm. felt like he had been taken away from his mom at way too young of an age and that he got thrown into this pasture with a bunch of ponies that really picked on him and at that point he was you know not much bigger than them so you know he couldn't kind of stand his own ground and he grew to be quite huge. He was a, a beautiful warm blood. But um, he didn't, he never saw himself as bigger than them. So for him, ponies were just mean. And he was, you know, kind of preemptively striking, if you will, by um, fighting after them and chasing them. And uh, so something in me just thought, you know what, I'm going I, I'm just going to do this. I in the um, I in my early years as an animal communicator in the mid '90s, I had learned acupressure, and as I knew all the acupressure points, and I knew the EFT points for people, and I thought, well, they just can't be that different since the acupressure and um, uh, acupressure points of EFT, you know, follow a certain sequence um, for humans and and certain points. So I thought, I'm just going to try these on the animals and on, well, on Shakespeare. So I started tapping and I started, you know, all the same points. And I um, got to the... Um, I got to the inside of the eye and the outside of the eye and under the eye and just started with the words like, I hate ponies. I hate ponies. And then went into, you know, I, well, I'm really afraid of ponies. They, you know, went a bit into the story but stayed with the deep-seated emotions. And sure enough, he started yawning and licking and chewing and doing all the things that, that you know, an animal does when they start to release especially um, process and release like trauma Mm -hmm. and big feelings. So the next thing you know, um, he was, he was yawning and, and really releasing. And so I finished up the tapping session and I had told the people it's going to look weird. (laughs) And so um, they didn't care though. And so we walked him out and he definitely side-eyed all the ponies, but he didn't go after them. And then I think I share in the book that year, then that year he was his stall was across from a pony, which they couldn't have done before that moment. And then right. um, after that, he was retired next to a pony and seen grooming him often. So a mm. happy ending. Yes. And so that experience propelled you to actually work with animals in the EFT world on a regular basis. I and, started um, tapping on everybody. <laughs> every, every, every living thing. <laughs> yes. Right. So, 
So when people reach out to you, are they looking for both or are you offering both because in order to heal the human and the animal, you need to know what's happening with the, you know, with the emotions and the history and trauma and all of that? Yeah, I offer both. And and here's what I I love to tell people is that um, I... You know, you don't have to be an animal communicator to do it on your own. I have, um, you know, to find out what the deep emotions are for your animal. I have ways in my new book, um, Emotional Freedom Technique for Animals and Their Humans. I have like little investigation scripts, if you will, where you go through and you can um, look at, uh, from the animal's perspective, what they're what they're going through. And when you look at it from the animal's perspective, you all of a sudden step out of yourself and and you almost channel the animal. And then as you gain a new perspective, you're starting to release your part of it. So it's really the, the book is for, you know, any, whether you're an advanced animal communicator or you've never done it, you can still tap on behalf of your animal with the guidance in the book. And then getting your emotions out of the way helps the situation, you know, have even more emotional freedom, if you will. Right. And and if we're in fear or anxious, our animals are going to feel the same. Um, so we're going to talk more about that. We need to go on our first break, but I want to give out Joan's information. Uh, you can go on her site. It's Joan Ranquette. R-A-N-Q-U-E-T, JoanRanquette.com. She's written a number of books, and and we're going to talk more about the AFT, what you can do for yourself with your animals. And you mentioned perception, um, so I wanted to kind of clarify that with us humans perceive a certain thing about our animals, which we don't even, or we're putting on our perspective onto the animal when they have a totally different perspective. And I I find that fascinating because it kind of wakes somebody up to realize what we're thinking, just like another human. We're not in their minds. We don't know what they're thinking. So we're projecting what we believe that could be totally different, if that makes sense. Right. Yes. Yes. So we'll be back. Our phone number two, just for everyone, this is a live show. You can call in. You can ask Joan a question, share a comment. It's 833-220-1200, 833-220-1200. We'll be back. Experience a different yet profound healing with Reconnective Healing. Includes yet expands beyond any and all known forms of energy healing. The Reconnective Healing Spectrum is comprised of the full healing and evolutionary continuum of energy, light, and information. It allows for healings that are not just physical, not just mental, not just emotional, yet go beyond that to bring healing that includes the evolution of your very being and essence. 
Deborah Beauvais, trained and certified by world-renowned Dr. Eric Pearl, offers appointment hours at Seacock Family Chiropractic in Seacock, Massachusetts. For questions or to set up both distance or local sessions, call Deborah at 508-431-1959. Again, 508-431-1959. Or go to lovebyintuition.com. That's lovebyintuition.com. Calling all authors. Have you been considering an audiobook? Well, look no further. Come take advantage of Dream Vision 7 Radio Network's unique in-house audiobook production, which includes benefits and bonuses from our radio station. Let our knowledgeable staff guide you to create the audiobook you've always dreamed of without breaking the bank. Check out our full one-stop service from A to Z, including the ACX process. Schedule a free consultation by calling 508-226-1723. That's 508-226-1723. Or go to dreamvision7radio.com. After narrowly surviving the attack on Sandy Hook Elementary, first grade teacher Caitlin Roy DeBellis was left searching for answers that would never come. Eventually, she chose to focus on questions that could be answered. How do I make sure this tragedy doesn't define us? How do we get our control back? Those two questions led her to found the 501c3 nonprofit organization, Classes for Classes. When gifts poured into their classroom, she decided they would help someone else by paying it forward and being kind. This developed into a social network which allows K-8 classrooms to connect so that every student in the United States can learn these crucial lessons. Classes for Classes' mission is to build students' social-emotional intelligence by connecting them to care. All C4C projects are crowdfunded. Any teacher in the U.S. can visit classesforclasses.org. That's classes, the number four, classes.org. Sign up today. Delight your kids with an enchanting journey by reading the Paper Doll Kids Children's Book by Deborah Beauvais and Janine Sullivan. There's even a catchy tune, Kids for Love Song, produced by Bob Sherwood and sung by kids just like yours. The story weaves around seven paper dolls flying around the world doing good deeds as they bring important attention to our endangered animal friends. There's even a magical ring with a universal message. Kids become interested in service projects, action through compassion, and planting seeds that nurture positive change. The Paper Doll Kids and Kids for Love Song are a production of the Kids for Love Project. Get the book now on Amazon Kindle and the song on CD Baby or iTunes. This is Dream Vision 7 Radio Network, uniting mankind with universal love. Our shows are created from the heart, bringing each listener to a place of divine enlightenment. Breathe, relax, and enjoy. Let life flow. And we are back. And one more time, our phone number here is 833 833- to two zero twelve hundred. We are with Joan Ranquette, who's an accomplished animal communicator of over thirty years and she utilizes EFT with both animals and humans. And her site is Joan Ranquette R A N Q U E T dot com. Joan Ranquette. And before the break, we were talking about how we have different perceptions and uh, what we can put on animals and other people, for that matter. So can you address that? Yeah. I mean, one, one thing that comes to mind is, like, the dog, which every dog does, and I have a funny wild dog story about this, too. Dogs that love 
to roll in stinky stuff, right? Like <laughs> they, they love to roll in it. It's fun. It's great. They think they smell great. It's, uh, it's the most delightful thing on the planet for a dog. And for us, we think, oh, he's doing this to me again, or, oh, my God, I can't believe he's doing this. He knows he's not supposed to, but, like, in whose world is he not supposed to? So mm-hmm. I was just out. Um, I just took people on a wildlife trip to um, Zimbabwe, and for oh. the first time I wanted to see wild dogs my every trip I take people on, but I finally, you know, like nine trips later, saw wild dogs, and we saw a whole pack of them, and they were hilarious. I mean, one of them was like hitting this little um, little tree tree branch like it was, you know, a door stopper, and it couldn't stop hitting it, right? Another mm-hmm. dog was was just, you know, playing with the other dog, but they all rolled in gross stuff. Now, we know that wild dogs do it to get rid of their scent so that they can sneak up on their prey, but it also is so much fun for them. It is so much fun. So what must have gotten transferred through the the genetic um, interwebs of um, all things dog is the fun part. Um, So when we see a dog doing a certain behavior that we think, oh, they know that annoys us. They don't even, we aren't even entering into their realm of thought when they're doing that thing. They're doing it solely because it's fun or they love it or they get some sort of joy. Um, And, I mean, that's just one sort of perfect example of something that they're not doing it to us. And we take everything so personally that then we get more frustrated more disgusted you know uh, our end of it gets bigger and bigger and it it makes them like go find five more stinky things to to roll in (laughs) yeah yeah we're a the human race is an interesting species um the way our yeah you we could yeah (laughs) so but that that definitely gives an example of they have here we are thinking that we're on their minds and we're the furthest from their minds because they're having fun yeah so i have a a good example of um a, a client called me recently because her horse and her horse had not gotten in the horse trailer lately she said that her horse and she used to take her horse to all kinds of horse shows, but the horse seemed to panic when, you know, she would come toward the trailer. And the woman was baffled because the horse was about 14 at this point, and she just couldn't believe that this was happening. And, and she kept saying to me on the phone, you know, during the session, well, nothing has happened to her. Um, that would make her do this. Like, we've never had a horse, we've never had an accident, you know, with the truck and trailer. We've never, you know, nothing has happened. And so when I communicated with the horse, she still loved doing all the, you know, so it wasn't like she didn't like horse shows or going to meet the trainer. The, um, the, um, horse, the horse 
shared with me that she was absolutely loved to still do these things, loved to be at the horse show, loved to show up at the horse trainer, loved to be the best horse there, you know. So it wasn't something that the horse wasn't looking forward to. There, and as the woman had said, there was no accident. But when I continued to dig deeper with the horse, she shared with me that when she got in the trailer, she was afraid that she was going to be squeezed. Like she just had the sensation of every time she got closer into the trailer, every step she took in, she felt like she was going to be squeezed and squeezed and squeezed until her head would be like stuck in stuck. And as I expressed this, the woman said, oh, my God, that's what happened to her when she was young. Now, I had no idea this horse was a Mustang. She said he was with her mother, and they were caught by the BLM, the Bureau of Land Management, when she was about six months old. So she was still with her mother, and that's how they do the shoots, is they squeeze them through so that they can't get out. Her mother got so scared that she flipped out of the chute, so she witnessed her mother the squeezing and the and her mother flipping out. Well, they they got her mother and and this woman, thankfully, got both the mother and the daughter. And you know the daughter had had thirteen and a half great years with this woman, but some something was triggering this memory that mm. of being squeezed in a small space. So we did a round of tapping on you know I'm afraid I'm afraid I'm afraid. And, you know, just the whole thing about the, the trauma of the, prior act, of the prior incident with the, you know, how the Mustangs are caught. And um, the woman wrote to me within three days and said, we're already back in the trailer, going to clinics. And then a few weeks later, we've gone to six horse shows since we spoke. So um, wow. the, the tapping really helped. Hmm. Now, but her I find that also was, fascinating yeah. that you, you know, with digging deeper and talking about it, then the owner realized what was going on. So yeah. there's so much power in that, Joan. And now before you did the tapping, you would communicate. And you would delve into what the issue was, but before. Be, what would you do next without the EFT knowledge? Um, I have because I have that acupressure, and ironically, you know, EFT is acupressure points. Um, mm-hmm. I had a lot of acupressure. I have some acupressure ideas. One thing that anybody could do to ground their animal is to, you know, stroke from the top of the head to the end of the tail three times. Mm-hmm. That's called a bladder sweep. So you stroke along the bladder meridian. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one thing. I, I think um, I I do the scalar wave healing technique, which is very relaxing. Um, mm-hmm. I love to work with, you know, tuning into their chakras, things like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, the EFT goes straight to it. Um, again, I you know, it, it isn't... 150% every single animal I work with, but it's cer- certainly, you know, very uh, profound and very 
very efficient with, I would say, uh, 96%. So, mm-hmm. wow. It's pretty good. And do you do, like, some of the animals and the humans, things are cleared right away, and then other times it may take or more, correct? Absolutely. That is, you know, it's like any modality in any individual, like, Sometimes it's a miracle and sometimes you're chipping away at the layers, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there's so many layers when you... Do you find that with the horses, you know, with the humans, it can be generational and we could be... And then you've got the consciousness, the global consciousness that you can be taking on or feeling emotion over something that's happening elsewhere just because of the collective consciousness. And then with the, um, you know, generational thing, are animals taking on that as well? Absolutely. Two very specific groups of animals take that on in a huge way, and that's uh, feral cats. Even if a feral cat was born in a house but it had a feral mother, often it will have taken on a lot of the fear the mother experienced when the baby was in the womb. And the same with Mustang horses. That's why I said I didn't know it was a Mustang when I had that sense of, like, the horse being, you know, squeeze uh, every step in. Yeah, and that's exactly yeah. what happens to Mustangs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that they're going to have, like, a Mustang and a, and a feral cat, even born in captivity, especially first generation, they're still going to have that nervous system that's like, uh-oh, uh-oh, I'm going to flee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well... So let's talk about fear and anxiety because in the age we are living, it's, I, I, from my perspective, I feel as though it's a very exciting time. More people are awakening. More people are getting involved with healing different modalities or they're receiving, you know, information where they're starting a modality of their own. All kinds of things are happening, and we, I feel as though we are awakening so that we can raise love consciousness and yet on the other end of the spectrum so many people are perishing this death this awful things uh happening awful it's a can't even describe wars all of the um things that are happening so a lot of people have fears and anxiety just because they're feeling it in the energies, and then they have their own fears over whatever may have happened in their lifetime. So do you see, um, like, are you seeing all kinds of different fears and anxieties right now compared to, say, five years ago? You know, I, I mean, I always say I agree with you. We are in the most exciting time on the planet Um And I think uh, as far as, like, just the reach of the potential for love consciousness, right? But, Mm -hmm. and I I don't think this time is different than any other time. Like, I couldn't imagine being in um, Rwanda when there was a genocide happening. I couldn't imagine 
living in London during World War II, I couldn't imagine being in Germany in World War II. That must have just felt like an oppressive evil like no other. So I don't, I personally don't think our time is any different than any other time. I think that there's just more of it because there's more people and there's more access to know about it because of the internet. But mm. so because you make a good the, point, you know, I mean, think about how horrible it must've been to be living under Napoleon. I mean, there's mm. so many things that would have just, and you didn't have a perspective outside of yourself. You're just living in this pure tunnel of hell. So mm -hmm. I, I think that we just know more. And so, Right. And as we know more and have more awareness of not only what is really going on, but also an awareness that we're all connected and this could all be great, it then, it then yeah, I mean, there, there are some big events like 9-11 and the pandemic where we could feel the collective fear in the hugest way possible. And then, you know, other feelings came into play as we had to get used to this idea, right? But right. Um, I feel like then it's kind of up to us that know, to, to stay really grounded with this and, um, and you know, be part of the light, helping people out of that. So, yeah, I right. see it, but I also see that people are pretty, um, uh, most people are pretty willing to, to move, to get on, to to try something different because they don't want to feel that way anymore. Right. And I think that's the key. It, what you just said is to try something different. Obviously, there's been control and power for, you know, thousands, of, it seems like thousands of years. Um, yeah. And, and so now let's, let's try something different. I really like that then. That just, you know, bing with my mind. Uh, and so it's really, from there, it's helping people wake up to a, to a higher purpose, to a, a better life for themselves. And, and that love and compassion is so important to have that compassion for others, yet we cannot stay in that space of all the... Um, all the war and the and everything that's happening to innocent civilians, people, we can't stay in that space because then it, we would be really um, frozen in our space. We wouldn't be able to function on our end. Um, right. But I think the compassion is so important. And I think if we all developed developed and really worked on that compassion, we wouldn't be harming each other, regardless of who wants to power and everything. We wouldn't be harming. We would drop yeah. our weapons and drop all our hatred. And I don't know, you can just go on with that. But I'd like to know your perspective. So I thank you for sharing what your thoughts are around all that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think it's important that we're talking about it, too, because yes, I think just hearing, you know, when I say that to people, like, this time is no different than any other. We just know about it in real time. Right. Yeah. Then all of a sudden people go, oh, right. You're right. <laughs> yeah. You're right. 
So, so getting back to the fear, the, all the animals can feel fear, but do you think that those of us that are holding fear will bring more fear into the animal? And what do you do with tapping to help people release that fear? And it might be, it could be different well, as we know, you mentioned it earlier, it could be all kinds of layers, and it could be all kinds of fear, all wrapped up in one big package. Yeah, and, and that's, I think, all wrapped up in one big package, all kinds of fears, because I, um, I, I don't like to say that animals are mirroring us. I like to say they're more kind of the first responder to our uh, behavior and what I think happens is let's say that you are you have a certain amount of fear you go to the um, shelter and you're like oh this dog is so fearful I you know and subconsciously you're identifying with it but uh, consciously you're like oh I want this dog and uh, so you bring the dog home and then you guys start triggering each other, right? Like that, that's mm -hmm. a very common thing where it's like, but the reason that dog has fear is different than the reason you have fear. So mm -hmm. if you can get to the core of each of the fears, then you're going to really, that's when it gets really great. Wow, that's good. Wow. Well, we need to take our next break. And we're coming right back more with Joan and her wisdom. Uh, so stay with us. Take a journey to a place of the divine love within with Deborah Beauvais on the Love by Intuition show, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. and 6 a.m. Eastern. Our message is love in the purest form. The light within us all is a guide to recall our beginning, to learn to love self and humankind, and to feel the higher power of our own divinity. To attract love, one needs to be love. Come join us and step into this glorious vibration called love. Delight your kids with an enchanting journey by reading the Paper Doll Kids Children's Book by Deborah Beauvais and Janine Sullivan. There's even a catchy tune, Kids for Love Song, produced by Bob Sherwood and sung by kids just like yours. The story weaves around seven paper dolls flying around the world doing good deeds as they bring important attention to our endangered animal friends. There's even a magical ring with a universal message. Kids become interested in service projects, action through compassion, and planting seeds that nurture positive change. The Paper Doll Kids and Kids for Love Song are a production of the Kids for Love Project. Get the book now on Amazon Kindle and the song on CD Baby or iTunes. Are miracles real? Can you move from mayhem to miracles? 30 prominent authors say yes as they share their high fives and down lows of challenges, abuse, addiction, and love. Experience hope, the magic elixir of miracles, through the personal stories of New York Times best-selling authors James Redfield, Dr. Bernie Siegel, Sister Jenna, Reverend Temple Hayes, and many more. If you like bestsellers, chaos to clarity, and crappy to happy, you'll love crying and laughing through Mayhem to Miracles, sacred stories of transformational hope, available now on Amazon and in bookstores worldwide. 
It's a child's job to play, to learn, and to have fun. It's an adult's job to keep them safe. Did you know that one in four girls and one in six boys will be sexually abused before the age of 18? Every day, families enter the Children's Advocacy Center because a child's courage to tell someone what happened to them. Keeping our children safe starts with a conversation. This is Michelle Aranger, Executive Director of the Children's Advocacy Center. Learn more on how to keep your child safe. Visit CACofBC.org. This message made possible by the Fall River Rotary Club. This is Dream Vision 7 Radio Network, uniting mankind with universal love. Our shows are created from the heart, bringing each listener to a place of divine enlightenment. Breathe, relax, and enjoy. Let life flow. Um, Joan, in 2008, Joan founded Communications with All Life University. It's a program that offers beginning through advanced training and certification in animal communication, energy healing, nature, and wildlife. So check that out. Again, go on her site, joanranquette.com. Uh, so, Joan, let's talk a little bit about aggression. Um, what happens with animals that become very aggressive and how it affects their humans. And there's, um, there's one particular story in there about Spike in the book. Yes. Um, I probably changed the name, so I think I have to remember Spike. Um, I, I actually work with a lot of people and their animals on um, aggression because, um, it, for one thing, if you start to work with the human, it, imagine if you had an animal that did something that surprised you. The first time it kind of surprises you, right? Mm-hmm. Then the second time it happens, it becomes... Um, more than a surprise, it becomes a, um, now it's like, oh no. I, I, the range of emotions that the human goes through when they watch their animal do something is, like I said, it, can, it starts with usually surprise, like where did that come from? And then mm-hmm. it, it turns into a frustration and it comes, then it turns into, um, uh, some people even get angry, um, because they feel like they've tried everything. And then um, a lot of times they're sad because they feel like they've tried everything and that it's never going to change. And so all of those feelings are just on the human end of, say, the leash or the lead rope with a horse. Um, And then for the animal, they're... I, I actually need to bring up one other thing. What happens when the human is going down that that bunny trail, if you will, of, of their emotions, which they deserve. They, they certainly get to have their emotions about it. But if they aren't grounded, the, the animal is going, that's going to compound all of the things that the animal is feeling. So let's say, for example, the animal is feeling very, um, if the first reason that the animal reacts and, you know, is reactive, it is almost a hundred percent 
out of fear. So if it was afraid once and it it got it's um it got to have um it got what it wanted out of it, right? Like if it was reactive and it growled and snapped and everybody backed up, well then it it got its answer. The, the human didn't intervene, right? The human is in, in their own surprise, shock, fear, sadness, frustration, anger. And in, in that whirlwind of feelings that the human is having, the one thing they are not doing is protecting the animal. So the animal continues to feel like, uh-oh, this person is never going to protect me. I'm, next time, I'm going to get bigger. And then the next situation comes and the animal gets even bigger. So very often, people always start out thinking that the animal is protecting them. And I always mm-hmm. say, no, that animal's protecting himself. You aren't there as an emotional leader for the animal. And that's when people go, oh. And then they start stepping in and become a much better emotional leader and even just that step alone starts to unravel the whole experience. Wow. Mm. So Does that now, make sense? Yes. But now what happens with, and we had a, um, just an awful, awful thing where a, a young boy lost his life, where he was taking, he was at a, um, uh, a kennel and taking, you know, feeding the dogs. And what causes the dogs to attack an innocent boy that isn't, you know, he wasn't fooling around, he was doing his job. Do you, have you had experience with connecting as an animal communicator with dogs that become vicious as a yeah i mean yeah let's let's just again go back to that story of somewhere that Mm -hmm. dog was so terrified Mm -hmm. that dog it's funny i i'll i'll tell you something i i have a i have a picture so i just on my trip to zimbabwe we had an experience where we were um, doing a walking safari and our guide had actually um, accidentally washed out, if you will, a lion. And so all of a sudden, this lion comes up over the hill. We're facing this lion. Now, he's pretty far away, but with my telephoto lens, it's not a huge lens. I mean, I think it's 70 feet. Um, it's not one of those giant lenses like National Geographic. It's just a decent lens. I captured this lion's face as he came up. And it's a little blurry, but he growled and he terrified all of us. But you know what? The picture I captured is worth $10 million because the look on his face is complete terror. What are these humans doing here? So I can only imagine that that dog was so terrified. And until we really understand Every step of the way of what was the alert, what was the warning, we're never going to understand the attack. 
because there nobody just does nothing. Something mm-hmm. triggered that, and so mm-hmm. unfortunately, it's beyond tragic. And we would think the dog was vicious, but there are a number of steps in the way before that dog did that thing that we'll never know unless it was captured on video. Right, and that's the that's the part that's hard. Because-